Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by NBA TV's The Starters. Skeets, Task, Trey, and Lee are the starters, and you can catch them every weeknight on NBA TV, breaking down the biggest moments from the 2018 NBA playoffs. From highlights to postseason analysis, bloopers to Lee dropping a ton of NBA trivia knowledge, and the memes that matter most, The Starters have you covered. Keep up with the starters and the tweets on their weekly Twitter show every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And be sure to check out their weekly deep dive podcast each Friday called The Drop, which is available for download via iTunes and NBA.com slash The Starters. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Today in front of a live studio audience in New York with Portland Trailblazers guard C.J. McCollum. Stay with us. Great to have CJ here, and uh, want to thank certainly uh, Horizon and Turner for hosting us, sponsoring the event. We've done a couple of these; uh, they're a lot of fun. Usually, we're doing these pods in an empty studio, or sometimes, uh, a lot of times, hotel rooms, sitting in business offices at hotels. I did one with Julius Randall the other day in a business office in Chicago. So it's great to have everyone here, and you guys taking time out. So, so CJ. Your podcast, Pull Up, just started on Cadence. It's funny, you and I talked, I think in the past when I, you had been on my podcast and you had been on JJ Reddick and I think maybe my greatest gift in this business is scouting out NBA players for podcasts. I was one for one with JJ and yours is already off to a great start. Uh, Especially for a guy who majored in journalism at Lehigh who had a focus in that and may have gotten into the industry if he didn't turn out to be a lottery pick. I imagine it's been a career path that you thought of like as far back as school. Like you, you didn't just stumble into it. Yeah, it was it was my backup. It was the ultimate backup plan for me if I didn't make it to the NBA or even if I did, I wanted to make sure I gave myself that opportunity to kind of build my resume. So that's why a lot of times I'm doing interviews, whether that's with the Players' Tribune or with different media outlets or covering the draft for ESPN or Turner or some of those major uh, networks just to kind of get used to doing different things. And when the podcast opportunity got presented to me, I felt like it was a good opportunity for me to to do something outside of what I had, had done up to that point while being able to you know, share my own stories and you know, bring on different players. And I think it's it's a unique perspective as a guy who plays in the league and is able to still interview you know, current players and competitors, although I have to stay away from certain players when we're playing against them or if it's a potential playoff matchup and then Obviously, the backlash you get from poor performance is always blamed on, you know, whatever else you're doing. If you weren't so busy podcasting, you might have made a shot, right? Right. Is that I, your... I could be in the club or, you know, other doing other <laughs> things, but I'm sitting at home talking on the, on the podcast, and people are blaming that for me going uh, 5 for 15. Yeah. I remember Reddick saying that that his hobby was, like, watch collecting, and so he was like, I'm cutting back on, like, an hour a week of, like, surveying watches on the Internet to do this. It's not impacting my game. What's been interesting to me, and it's Damon Lillard, who you play with in Portland, and people always talk about market sizes. Is Portland a big enough market size? And, you know, compared to LA, New York, and it's what I've always thought is you two have really sort of outsized your market by the profile you've created. Damien's done it with music. He's done it on social media. You've done it in your own way that we're in a day and time where you can reach people from wherever you are, that being in L.A., Chicago, New York, I think it's less important than it ever was. Yeah, I think early on, 
it may have mattered, you know, in years past, but due to technology, obviously social media is huge. You have Instagram, you have Twitter, you have Snapchat. Uh, this is my time to plug. You can follow me on Snapchat at CJM313. <laughs> but I think, you know, with all these things in place, it's easy to follow us and kind of see inside our lives. You know, you look at LeBron and some of those guys who, you know, I'm from Ohio, so being in Cleveland, it's not a huge market, but, you know, it's more based on what you do on the court, how personable you are, how much people can relate to you. And I think that, you know, in this day and age, Dane put out an album and people bought it, people liked it. He was able to get features from Wayne, from Two Chains, different artists who are very mainstream and popular. So I think that just shows you that it doesn't matter where you're from or where you go to school at, you know, him, him being from Weber, me being from Lehigh University, they're going to find you. And you look at the giraffe now and with all these players, you know, being from Europe and, and the success, you know, player, European players have had in this league, I think it's, it's great. It's great for the game. Have you had that moment yet with your podcast where you're walking down the street or you're somewhere and someone's like, not, hey, you're CJ McCollum, I watch you play, but hey, man, I'm listening to your podcast. Have you had that yet? Yeah, I, was, I spent a lot of time here in New York, and I was going to Y7. I was going to this yoga class uh, last week. I love I love hot yoga. It's great. But I, I'm, I'm walking in, and I had walked like, this is big for me because I'm lazy, and I always Uber. <laughs> or subway I walked like 1.7 miles which is a big deal for me in the off season and I was tired and as I get to the door a guy stops me and he was like you're CJ McCollum and I'm like yes that's me sir and he's like I'm listening to your podcast right now I said no you're not <laughs> and he showed me it. he took his earplugs out and paused it and I took a picture with him and I actually mentioned it in the next podcast and uh, my co-host owes him $100 because he thought I made the story up <laughs> it's got to be nice to be recognized for something other than just playing especially when you're a person who has more than one dimension to them yeah it's cool because a lot of times it's just me talking about things i I share in my group chat with my friends or barbershop talk or what i'm talking about with the teammates you know on a day-to-day basis and then i put it on a podcast and some things that you don't think are interesting a lot of people want to know more about it you know behind the scenes stuff or what you're doing on the off day like when you're going to work out, you know, what vacation spots you may be going to, what type of wine you're drinking, stuff that I don't necessarily think is a big deal or interesting. A lot of people like it, so I think it's it's always dope to get feedback um, from people who are listening, and I think it's also cool to be recognized for something besides a, a basketball player. You know, you mentioned you and Dame in Portland and, and finding other vehicles to for people to know you, and you, you, you talked about growing up in Ohio and seeing LeBron do it, and he probably was – you know, Kobe was the player of the previous generation in the league, but his whole career played out in L.A. Was that sort of the first time with LeBron, you know, with essentially your hometown team, seeing that a player could be bigger than life, could be marketable and be the most marketable guy in a small market? Yeah, I mean, growing up in Canton, Ohio, I've been around LeBron since I was probably, I don't know, 10 years old. So going to his games when he's at St. V, playing for his AU team, you know, playing him in one-on-one when he had the broken wrist and all that stuff. So I've, I've kind of seen him as a normal teen who, you know, on the cover of Sports Illustrated, you know, labeled as the chosen one so early on and then him being able to kind of, you know, surpass all expectations into the point now to where you just expect greatness every night. What were those high school games like with it's him crazy. and St. V? It's crazy to see how how his games transformed, how his body's transformed from, you know, being a, a big kid, you know, 6'6", six, six, uh, 180 pounds, 200 pounds, to now being a full-size man blowing kisses and playing peekaboo with his daughter mm-hmm. before the game. Just seeing, like, how he's transformed from an offensive standpoint to 
I mean, I remember a high school game where he hit 10 threes. They said he couldn't shoot, so he shot a lot of threes and hit 10 threes in the game just to try to make a statement. But the way his forms changed, his ability to kind of manipulate an offense, get to the fadeaway, he's got the Dirk fadeaway down now. People were saying when he goes left, you can't stop him, so he started going right in this playoffs and kind of showed you, look, I can go left or right. I think just his maturation process and how well he takes care of his body. I was telling some of my homies, I always tell the story, and I probably shouldn't, but I'll tell it anyway. Uh, we, were at, we were at a bachelor party in uh, one, of the, one of the past years, and I remember we went out, and I was tired. And I, and I texted him at like 10 a.m., like, yo, I'm about to go to the gym. You want to get a workout in? Check Instagram, and I was pissed because he had already worked out <laughs> at like 8 a.m., and we was out or whatever. He worked out, and he was like, oh, I'm, just doing, I'm just doing weights and body maintenance this week, and he didn't come to the gym. But he was already finished, and I was like, dang, he's arguably the best player in the world, and he beat me to the gym and finished his workout. So I always tell the story about how, like, the great ones, they always are constantly trying to find ways to improve, and they never rest on their laurels. Yeah, you mentioned that 10 three-pointers in a high school game. I remember the first time I ever saw him, I saw him score 52 points in Trenton. And what was amazing to me, like, and he wasn't a great shooter then, but he hit eight or nine threes. But usually, especially at the high school level, it could be anybody in the world guarding him. It could be... You know, just a normal high school kid. Trevor Ariza was the player guarding him. It was Westchester, L.A. You know, he was a six-seven wing player who would be one and done at UCLA, which almost you'd never have a matchup like that in high school. And so it wasn't like he was just doing it. And he said, wow, this he's got a real defender on him. And I just remember saying, I've never seen anything like him. I think you hit it around right the head. His, his ability to kind of develop his game and work on perceived weaknesses and improve and you know, and he won't say it, but he's chasing Jordan. He's chasing Kobe. He's trying to get as many rings as possible because look at his accolades and statistics. You know, the numbers he's put up. He's basically one in every playoff category in terms of points, rebounds, assists, minutes played, 40-point games, all that stuff. So now he's trying to get as many rings as possible to solidify his greatness. Yeah, and I know, like, we'll see what he does in free agency. And I know there's people who think if he were to just go to – he could stay in Cleveland. He could go to the Lakers. Come to Portland. He could, right. He could come <laughs> to Portland. You know, it doesn't matter whether teams have cap space. They'll create it. They'll find a way to create it if he wants to come. But to me, I think the criticism will wash away very quickly. If he, if he just picks a team where there's two great players and people say, ah, he's become a journeyman. This is not, he will make that pathway of just jumping around. It will be fine if he wins the three titles. No one will remember that part of it. It will only, to me, be about if he gets the four and five and six. And I think that's going to be really hard to do because there's Golden State's not going anywhere. And so wherever you try to put him on the map, it's not a sure thing. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And I think he could retire right now and the conversation would start. And people would go through the accolades and statistics and obviously compare the rings. But... He's a Hall of Famer regardless for his ballot, and he's he's going to be in that GOAT conversation, the, the Mount Rushmore conversation regardless. But I think, you know, with him having, who knows, five, ten years left, whatever he decides before he transitions to point forward, like legit playing on the box, he wants to play with his son. People don't realize that, or, or maybe they're starting to. His son is about, he's 13, so he's four or five years away from being one and done. So Brown's probably got his, his eye on that. All right, let me get as many rings as I can because then I'm, I'm going to go play with my son wherever he's at, which means lottery team, most likely. Yeah, yeah, and that's it, – it's remarkable. And you kind of keep waiting for there to be some fall off, right? Some – look at the draft class he came in with and look where those guys are in their career. Dwayne Wade, you know, certainly on the downside. Carmelo is – they're on the downside, but mo- – Almost all players are at that age, and 
what he's doing in these playoffs that we just sort of take for granted. He puts up 40 a night, and it's become an afterthought. You expect that. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I I, I tweeted the other day. It looked fake. You look at his numbers and like the way the way he scores and moves. Fifteen years into the league, like I'm, I'm 26. I get a lot of my. I lead the league in miles the last three years, and I ain't 270 pounds. Like I'm, I like to say I'm well built. You know what I'm saying? But he's heavy. He he runs fast. He jumps high. He plays. I don't know 90 games a year. It seems like because of the, they're going to the finals most years and. He's not slowing down. It seems like he's getting better with age. Like he said, like fine wine, he's getting better with age to where he's more efficient, less movement. He's able to get to his spots quicker and just kind of pick the game apart. Explain to people what that means, leading the league in miles. So they basically track. There's a, there's all these cameras now that can catch us saying, saying a lot of things we shouldn't say, and it also catches our movements. And uh, I've, I average, I don't know, two point eight miles a game or something like that. That's why I don't like to walk in the summertime. <laughs> but uh, it tracks the miles and the, the movements. And I think this last season I had, I don't know, 20 more court lengths than the second second place guy. So, like, down and back would be one. So I had, like, 20 more court lengths. And I, I was suspended for a game, very controversial. I stepped on the court during a altercation. It cost me $160,000. <laughs> and, um, yeah, eight steps, $160,000. <laughs> Still upset about it, but I'm, I'm, I've kind of gotten over it. But that was another nice. That was a nice vehicle. <laughs> a couple, a few months mortgage, you know. But I'll let it go. And then I, uh, I played 81 at 82. Why do you think there's so much distance between you and the next player? What, what is it about the way you play that creates so much movement up and down the floor? I think it's our offense and just. You know how I'm wired and just trying to figure out ways to create space. We run a lot of flare screens, a lot of pin downs, a lot of baseline stagger stuff. And, you know, I play, I start at the two and then when Dame goes out, I slide over to the one. So I'm, I'm playing, you know, two primary positions to where you're getting hit by screens, you know, chasing guys at the two. You, you're playing a lot of on ball. So you're coming off pick and roll. So just a lot of movement and just, you know, I'm six, three, six, four, 200 pounds. And there's a lot of guys out there who are a little bit bigger, and I have to figure out ways to, you know, either be in better condition than them or be able to outquick them and outsmart them. CJ, I think after the season, this will be a conversation you'll be having in the Players Association. The Players Association will start looking at this new Supreme Court ruling that's going to legalize gambling in states, and it's going to create, I think the NBA hopes, a lot of revenue. Mark Cuban thinks, Mark said, and sometimes Mark will talk in hyperbole, but uh, <laughs> that he thinks the franchise values doubled with this. I asked Joe Laker from Golden State. He Double. didn't, yeah, he didn't quite believe that. But you know, there's an opportunity here for one, a financial windfall into the system that players can share in, uh, which will be sorted out. But have you thought much about? Maybe some of the unintended consequences of if everybody in the stands is gambling, if everyone can gamble on a million different facets of the game, how fans may respond to players or how they may, when all of a sudden you've done something that in their minds they bet on, they lost, that's going to be different than what you normally get with illegal gambling. I honestly haven't thought about it. I get a lot of mean tweets as it is, Um, (laughs) a lot of things that hurt my feelings on a date. No, just kidding. <laughs> I mean, we're human, so, like, some stuff you you, you feel away. But uh, I've cost a lot of people money from winning games I shouldn't win or 
underperforming in games I should have played better in, and you hear about it. So I can only imagine it'll get a little worse. But at the same time, I think that it's great for the game in a sense that it's going to bring in casual fans or people who don't even like basketball and just are gamblers. You know, I like to play blackjack and things of that nature. So I can imagine how much fun you could have, you know, betting on actual players, betting on games. Maybe I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. So, like, being able to bet on the Cleveland Browns when I retire because <laughs> obviously I can't do that now. Yeah, you thought 160000 was a tough fine. Try yeah. To, yeah, start betting on pro games. Yeah, so <laughs> stuff like that to where, you know, it just makes it more intriguing to watch as a fan. It's more like a fantasy league. Like, I play fantasy football with my friends for free, obviously. And just putting it... <laughs> Just want to clarify that for free. There's no money. There's, there's no money involved. Uh, I, I can assure you, I've lost enough money. But I think it's it's just great. It makes it more competitive uh, for fans who watch it. They can, you know, have housing events to where everybody goes to someone's house and watches. So I think it's going to be good for the sport in the sense that it's already happening. People are already betting on games. So now maybe the undercover bookies are a little upset because you know they're, they're losing out on some bets under the table. But I think it'll be good for the sport. And as you know, owners may not want to admit it. It's going to make a lot more money. We don't know how much it is, but it's, the bottom line is going to change drastically. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by the Starters. The NBA playoffs are in full swing, and the Starters have you covered every weeknight on NBA TV. Tune in as Skeets, Tass, Lee, and Trey break down and bring you the biggest moments from the 2018 NBA playoffs. From head-to-head NBA showdowns to postseason analysis to the wackiest, most viral moments from around the league, these dudes keep basketball fun. Follow the guys on Facebook and Instagram, at The Starters, and keep up with The Starters and their tweets on their weekly Twitter show every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And be sure to check out their daily podcast and weekly deep dive podcast each Friday called The Drop, which are both available for download via iTunes and NBA.com slash The Starters. Was Baker Mayfield the quarterback you wanted for your Browns? I'm gonna be very careful. I like I like Baker. All right, so I went to the my first ever Ohio State football game. Uh, Et my guy, shout out to Et. He's one of the best teammates I ever played with. He took me to a Ohio State game. I was on the field, hundred thousand. It's crazy. Baker wins the game, plays unbelievable, takes the flag. Puts it in the middle. Oh, you were there then. I was there. I was like, I like him. <laughs> and I'm from Ohio. I was just like the swagger he has, the 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 bravado, the come from walk on twice. You know, obviously he has some stuff happen off the field, whatever. But he's been able to overcome all those obstacles, being short to being great at, at what he does. He's very efficient. So in a perfect world, I like him. I think he's gonna be good for us. It doesn't get any worse than what we did last year, losing every game. But uh I think in a perfect world we take the best available, Saquon Barkley at one. We see what's left at four. And if you want a quarterback, you take a quarterback at four. If not, I think we should have took Barkley, Chubbs, the DN. And then we had 30, 33, 34. I love my Browns. So we had the 33rd pick, and we could have got Lamar Jackson. So we could have got the best available generational talent. We could have got the best defensive player on the board. And then we could have got a quarterback for the future and started Taylor. It's basically what the Browns did in the uh, movie, right? Yeah. But we we don't we don't really execute the way we we would hope often, so I'm not surprised at what we did. But I hope Baker's the answer. I see four to six games. We win four to six this year. Small small steps towards our Super Bowl before I die. What would Cleveland be like to see a Browns? Could you imagine? I mean, the, the Cavs was big and the Indians, but the Browns are it. I would consider missing a game to go to the Super Bowl. 
honestly. It sounds bad. I would ask for permission. <laughs> Think about it. Like, if we go from historically one of the worst franchises ever to Super Bowl, I'm fl- I have to fly in, even, even if it's after the game. Like, I have to, I have to be a part of... Even if we lose, I have to be a part of, like, that loss. That's, like, a great loss. Like, we lost in the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, I'm serious. Like, I would tell my, my kids, I'd get a T-shirt made and everything. <laughs> I have custom jerseys. Is your, your brother Eric as big of a Browns fan? Nah, not as much. He likes them, but he's, he's older. He's been through a lot more than me. Three and a half years of losing more than I have. And uh, he's kind of stepped away. He's still a fan from afar, but he doesn't. He doesn't watch the draft with his jersey on like I do. He's been playing in Europe three more years than you've been in the NBA, and I know you're headed over uh, to see him. Kind of flew halfway Portland to New York and then off to Turkey. Has that been for you to go see him play there? I imagine you'll be sad when he retires because you always have a place to go. He's been in some pretty good places, Greece, Turkey this year. Yeah, He can't retire. He has to play for as long as possible. I told him he has to play like to 40 because – you know, free, free stay. You know, I don't, I don't have to work, work to find, uh, resorts or anything like that. He has a three bedroom condo always. So it's just great though to be able to see my brother play. He helped raise me. We're best friends. We talk every day and he's one of the reasons why I made it to the NBA. Without him, I would have never made it. So to be able to support him the way he supports me, you know, catch up because he's gone eight, nine months out the year and just to be able to sit courtside at his game and just see the type of love and respect he gets in Europe is awesome. Your respect for the international game, is it greater having watched him so closely, gone over, seen that high-level EuroLeague play? Absolutely, because at first you don't really know about it. You just hear about the, the European game. You hear about players go over that go over there, and then you just assume. Like When I was younger, I just assumed that you know some of the really good college players that didn't make it to the NBA, I just assumed that they just stopped playing and got normal jobs. And then you start looking at the rosters overseas and you see some of these high quality players, a lot of them previous like past NBA players and then a lot of them are just very very good skilled players who are able to do a lot of different things. Shoot the ball obviously that's a point of emphasis and it's funny, he, I got to see Bogdanovich play against him with Finner. I don't know, I watched three they had a series against Finner and he was like, "Yeah, he's going to be top 10." And I was like, "Who?" So I watched the game, and I was like, oh, he's pretty good. So I've been able to see, you know, players like Luka Doncic play before they come to the NBA, before everybody else kind of gets understanding of their games. I've already seen them. So I think that's cool. What did you think of Doncic? He could be, you know, he's certainly a top three or four pick yeah, in this I like draft. Him. I like him. I, at first I wasn't sold, but I watched about four games. I watched him play against my brother. I watched him play against Tony Douglas and some other guys in the EuroLeague. I'm just, like, watching his pace, his demeanor. He's only 19, but, you know, he plays a lot older. He hits big shots. He's not afraid of the moment. And, like I, like I always say, if you can – I think I tweeted this. If you can if you can shoot the ball, play in the pick and roll, and make decisions in the pick and roll, whether that be – James does it all the time. Hit the roll, man, hit the replacement. Make it simple. And you can succeed in this league. And I think at 19, him being 6'7", six, 6'8", six, and being able to do that – Right now, I think he's going to be a good player. We'll end it with this, and I will start taking some questions, CJ. Your Blazers team, you know, third seed in the West, 49 regular season wins, and then you get blitzed in that series with the Pelicans. Uh, was that one you just did not see coming, how that ended? Nah, I told my mom we are going to win in six. I told her not even to come to the uh, – <laughs> sounds terrible. But, yeah, <laughs> I thought we were going to win in six. That's – that's what I expected, and I think the rest of us probably felt the same way. 
six was like the limit. I thought no way we're going seven. We were going to get rid of them early because we felt like we we had accomplished a lot. We felt like we were growing and we're going to play at a high level in the playoffs. And they punched us in the mouth in game one. And they they drank our orange juice. You know, got went in the refrigerator and drank our orange juice, put their mouth on the lid and everything, <laughs> and left the inch. And then the next thing you know, we got swept. It was it was quick. It was like wow, like what happened? But it's a part of life. It's a part of the game. Just figuring out ways to improve and get better and. I always say, you know, in order to enjoy the sunshine, you got to be able to get through the rain, and you know, rain's a lot important. <laughs> Do you think that the team over eighty-two games, or the team over that four-game stretch, in your mind, which? I mean, you're accountable for losing. Like in this league, they judge you on the postseason. But do you still look at those 82 and say this is a group that can do more together? Yeah, I mean, I look at both. I'm a realist. You know, we we were up and down the regular season. We had a good run, a good stretch where we were winning games, playing basketball the right way. We had some injuries, obviously, which there's no excuses. It affects your roster. It affects, you know, substitution patterns, matchups. And Mo Harkless is one of the guys who got hurt later on in the season. I think that affected us. But I think we have the, the talent. And the ability to get better, I think we should have obviously fared better than getting swept in the first round. But I think the reality is that we all have to get better, figure out ways to improve, figure out ways to not allow this to happen again. And, and whether we go through injuries or not, and we need to be in a position where that doesn't happen again. Skeets, Tass, Trey, and Lee are the starters, and you can catch them every weeknight on NBA TV, breaking down the biggest moments from the 2018 NBA playoffs. Watch as they cover each series as only the starters can. From highlights to postseason analysis, bloopers to lead dropping a ton of NBA trivia knowledge, and the memes that matter most, the starters have you covered. Follow the guys on Facebook and Instagram at, at the starters and keep up with the starters and their tweets on their weekly Twitter show every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And be sure to check out their daily podcast and weekly deep dive podcast each Friday called The Drop which is available for download via iTunes and NBA.com slash the starters. You ready for some questions? Uh, yeah, All right. absolutely. Sure. All right. Do you feel like that you were like, you know, like maybe like Kawhi or something? The question was, do you guys perhaps need Paul George or Kawhi Leonard to, <laughs> right? Like to, to maybe take a step up to compliment you and Dame. <laughs> I think that's a great question. I think, obviously, there's not a lot of Kawhi Leonard or Paul Georges out in the league, so being able to find someone to combat them is tough. There's only a few, you know, high-caliber wing players like that in the league who, what is it, Kawhi's up up for, what, $219 million? The Spurs are trying to, you know, figure out. Figure it out. Yeah. $219 million. There's not a lot of players who can make that type of money at, at any position. So it's tough, but I think we're heading in the right direction. I think some of the wings we have now are pretty good, pretty versatile. I think Mo Harkless, he shot over 40% from three. Uh, he was in and out of the starting lineup, but he's 6'9". He's probably 22 or 23 years old. So I think he has the potential to be a, an elite wing player who can 3 and D and a little bit of versatility, you know, slash into the basket with some explosiveness. So I think some of that stuff is in the works, but, you know, it's just hard to find a, a Kawhi Leonard in a he, he, I already tried to get Paul George once. <laughs> like, I don't, he already turned us down once. I mean, you only shoot your shot so many times in the, in the DMs before you just have to, you know, give up. And he left me on red, red receipt, you know. <laughs> but nah, nah, I mean, he's cool, he's cool dude, and, uh, you know, he gotta do his best for his family, and, you know, he, he, he couldn't control where he went. He ended up getting traded anyway, uh, to OKC, so. 
Um, I wish him nothing but the best, and I'm sure he'll enjoy that uh, California sunshine next season. <laughs> 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 what? It's the truth. <laughs> Is, is there a drill you do every time you walk into the gym that gets you centered and gets you working? Yeah. Um, it's really simple, too. Every time I step in the gym, if you get to the games early, you probably see me do it. I start in close, just as I would do as a kid. I start in real close, no touch shots. I shoot you know, from there, take a step back, all the way to the free throw line. I'm still going through puberty. Sorry, my voice is crying. <laughs> and, uh, and then I go around the world. And I, you know, shoot from the shoot from the box, shoot from the in between the elbow and the box, shoot from the elbow, free throw line all the way around. So I start start my day like that every time. Twice I haven't done it in the game, and I've still played pretty well. But I try to do it, you know, every game. It's funny you mentioned that because I remember, which is the form shooting. You just start it in front of the rim, and you take a step back, a couple steps back. And I would always tell my son in the driveway, I covered Ray Allen when he was at UConn, so he was a freshman from Dalzell, South Carolina. And I remember I would leave, you know, I'd write my stories after a practice and be walking through the gym to go to the parking lot, like, you know, a few hours after the team had finished. And I'd see Ray in the gym as a freshman getting extra shots up, and you'd see him come back in the gym, and he'd be doing that form shooting as, a, I guess, an 18-year-old then, and then taking a step back and back. And I think 20 years later, he's 38, and I'm covering the NBA Finals, Miami, San Antonio, and it's 3 in the afternoon, and there's nobody in the arena and literally, right, Ray was 18 to 38. And I walk in the arena, and Ray's doing the same exact form sh- shooting drill that day that he's done every day that he's ever shot a ball. That's what the great ones do is consistent, you know, every day. And it may look – it may be something very minute, very small to where you think, like, why is he doing that? Like, he's the best shooter, arguably – well, Steph's the best shooter now, but he's arguably the best shooter, you know, to ever play. Like, why is he doing that? And it's more so mental. Like, we all – your mind is is crazy how, how how powerful it is, and if you don't do something that you normally do, you know your rhythm could be thrown off. You could you know feel feel like you're not ready to play. So I think being able to do this, whatever you do normally naturally every day, you know, it builds that mental confidence to where like you've seen LeBron work out, you know, after game one, you've seen him you know get a full hour workout, and obviously he's in great shape already. He didn't need to work out. That was for his mental mindset to see the ball go in, so that when the game started that night. You know, he hit four, three threes in the first quarter after not making a three in three games. Uh, so who do you have, Boston or Cleveland? There you go. <laughs> Boston or Cleveland? Cleveland. If you listen to my podcast, if you subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I know you haven't subscribed yet, but you will today. <laughs> you will see that I said the Cavs are going to win four straight and win in six. I said the Cavs were winning six from the beginning, and people were like, well, you said they were going to win in six, and they're down 0-2. I said, you heard LeBron. He didn't go to college. You don't win. <laughs> series isn't over in one game. You got a series. So People lost a little faith after you took the Blazers in six. I did. <laughs> Conflict of interest. When do you think there will be a uh, woman coach, and do you think there will ever be a woman that plays the NBA? Woman's coach and woman to play in the NBA. Woman's coach will come first. I'll tell you that. Um there's a lot of great candidates out there who are, you know, kind of moving up the ranks. Obviously, Pop Hire and um, Becky has been, you know, transitional, has been great, not only for our league, but for the world in general to see that women are capable of, you know, coaching not just female athletes, but male athletes as well. And then players respond 
based on your knowledge of the game, it doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man or if you've played or not. Your knowledge of the game is what gets players to respond. And you can have a man who played but doesn't know how to teach the game and players aren't going to respect him. So I think it's just about, you know, continuing to, to find people who know the game, who, you know, are able to, to educate players and show them the way. And that's when it'll happen. But in, in terms of a female actually playing, I'm not sure how that would work. Um, I really don't know. That's an interesting dynamic that I haven't thought about just due to the fact that there is a WNBA. So I think they should definitely raise the salaries of the WNBA players, for one. That should probably happen. But uh, I don't know about a woman actually playing in the NBA. I think that would be interesting. But I think some are capable. So from a player's perspective, how do you say trades impact the locker room during the season? How do trades impact the locker room during the year? It's tough. And I've, I've seen – a few trades, and I've had friends trade. I've had some of my good friends traded. And I think the first trade I was a part of, Will Barton. Will Barton and, T- I think, T-Rob, there's a bunch of those guys. We were very close, worked out together all all the time, obviously competing for the same minutes. And you just wake up one day, the trade deadline's coming. Woj usually knows before we do. And um, once he tweets it or you see something, you just, you're like, oh, your heart might, your heart kind of stops because it's like, it might be me. And you, maybe you move, like people understand, like you move to a city, you might have kids, you might have a wife at some point, they're in school, you might have bought a house, you get traded. And now you gotta go from wherever city you're at, you gotta go to the next city, you gotta find school districts, there's all this stuff that people don't understand you have to go through, like, like in an instance, and you're in an unfamiliar situation, so it's just tough, man. Especially you have friends, you wanna see, you wanna see like what's best for them happen, and, and hopefully they succeed in that, in that new environment, but it's a, it's a, a weird feeling because it's like, that's when you see the business side of it. You come in, they're taking the name tag down, they got the trash bags, and they're literally just clearing this locker out, and then there's another name tag coming in, it's a new player showing up. So, it's crazy because, you know, it, it can happen to any one of us at any, at any point in time, like from draft day on to, to the trade deadline, like every year. It's like a continuous cycle to where I always tell people, like, imagine waking up and, whatever company you work for there's people are tweeting at you there's like espn's talking about it like there's rumors that you're going to be traded to like milwaukee or let's say you live in la and you're going to detroit like there's rumors every day right like of your life and it's like they're talking about your value what you're worth and some people are killing you like oh he's not worth that she's not worth that like every day like that's what we go through i mean granted we make a lot of money and all that stuff but the behind the scenes of having to move your family people don't understand that or see that often great cj this was great man appreciate you appreciate doing you. this thanks to you thank guys you. thanks for listening to this episode of the woge pod a big thank you to my guest today here in new york portland trailblazers guard cj mccullum remember you can subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes of this podcast wherever you get your podcast you can find us on apple pods or wherever else you get your shows. And, of course, a big thank you to our hosts here of Horizon Media in New York, and a big thank you to our sponsor, NBA TV's The Starters. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Woj Pod. We'll catch you next time.